Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, Anthony Denmark, Denmark Life the Country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Denny. And this episode is brought to you by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. And since sports never stops, since sports never sleeps, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back, let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. And welcome, 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 welcome back to Countdown to Kickoff. I'm your host, the one and only Anthony Denmark, Denmark like the country. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, was it a horrible national championship game or what? 46 fouls called completely? completely absurd, but, you know, nevertheless, maybe because I was watching it through the lens of being a college football fan, that this really was that much excited, but nevertheless, you know, Bills are now the champions, and for me, I really did not find myself thinking about the song, We Are the Champions, I found myself thinking about Keep my boys out the game, 15 more yards. Listen, let them play, ref, let them play. Let them play. Let the boys play. Cheetah. Coach, come on. Cheetah. They didn't let them play. And maybe the outcome would have been different if the refs let them play. Nevertheless, they did not. But the Tar Heels are the champions. And for me, you know, that means that we now have not only a new crown as a top conference, that being the ACC, I felt like we have a new theme. And that's the theme that we're going to talk about tonight. The theme, of course, is redemption. Last year, the North Carolina Tar Heels, the Clemson Tigers, both from the ACC, came up short. However, in 2017, things turned out quite differently. And so with that in mind, we do know that since only one team can be crowned champion, we do know that, of course, several teams came up short, specifically in college football. And I want to talk about those teams. So on tonight's show, of course, as usual, we have a lot of things packed in tonight's show. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about Oklahoma State. You know, the refs cheated them out of a game, too, literally. Or maybe they may have found themselves in the college football playoffs and maybe contending for a national championship. And we do know, of course, uh, However, you may interpret it when you consider how the NCAA dealt with USC, Miami, and Penn State. The Canes may actually got kind of cheated too, not by the refs, but by the NCAA. So how close are they? So on tonight's show, we're going to have a discussion. We're going to have guests come on to talk about those particular programs. We do know ultimately all those championships, nets are cut down in April. Although confetti flies in January for college football, we do know that the real work actually begins now in the so-called offseason. The real work begins in spring practices, spring games, fall 
practices and the fall games. And right now we're in the midst of that, and we do know that nearly every college football program across the country, at least at this particular juncture, are participating in those practices, trying to go ahead and put a down payment on being the one and only team that stands as a national champion. However, of course, we do know that there can only be one, but we do know you have to have the pieces. And when you consider the programs that we're going to be talking about today, we do know that Oklahoma State definitely has the pieces with Mason Rudolph, James Washington. We do know that Miami, at least, they have the speed. But we do know that they also don't have the quarterback. You know that saying needs to say, whenever you have more than one of something, that means you really have nothing at all. And in the case of the Canes, we know that at this particular point in time, they have five quarterbacks vying for the number one job. So you got five quarterbacks, that means you have no quarterback. And we know that, according to Mark Rick, we're about to see some hitting going on, and not on along the offensive line, but by the quarterback. Apparently, Mark Rick is going to change things up a little bit. He's trying to find out who his quarterback is, and when you have five quarterbacks, it's hard to divvy up them reps. So he's going to be allowing these quarterbacks to try to stand out in live action, live fire, to find out who is his quarterback because love him or hate him, Brad Kaya was not that bad. He redeemed himself as being more than just, you know, by Felicia's son from Friday. But we got to find out who's going to be next. And, of course, we do know that just like with Miami, Oklahoma State also has a lot of questions that it has to answer. We do know, of course, that their offense leaves very little people to question about, but their defense, on the other hand, they were decimated by graduation. They have secondary issues that have to be addressed and their defense actually at least has to be respectable. But, of course, all those things happen now. All those things start in the spring. All those things happen during practice. You know, that thing that Allen Iverson said that he, of course, doesn't really like to do. But we do know when it comes to college football, you have to practice. Practice helps you determine who sits and also helps you get game ready. So when the live action starts in 151 days, that you're ready. So I'm excited. I know you guys are excited as well. Now, of course, right now during the so-called offseason, it provides a great opportunity for young men to either one, spread their wings and fly and get different opportunities. We saw, of course, at North Carolina State, the young men went and handed out office supplies, school supplies to students in third world countries. We've seen that Jim Moore, during the so-called offseason, utilized it to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Apparently, he now has a renewed and refreshed perspective on how to improve UCLA. Of course, during this offseason, we know Jim Harbaugh is going to be doing something. He always does. And, of course, we do know now we have uh, – we know that Nick Saban, of course, the so-called commissioner of college football, of course, has a few rants. We'll talk a few reporters that 
of course, will call out any type of offensive philosophy that, of course, exposes his defense. And, of course, in timely fashion, that's exactly what he did. So although right now there's no tailgating going on anywhere at any state around the country, or you likely will be arrested and asked to move for trespassing, we do know that college football is very much alive and very much well. As I said throughout March Madness, as I said throughout the college basketball, to myself anyway, is it serves as an appetizer, you know, you know that thing that helps hold you over until the main course. Because we have 151 days until we're able to actually dig in on what the real main course of college sports is. And until then, we'll have the appetizer of college basketball, the NBA playoffs, and whatever else in between. But we have 151 days until we can welcome week one of the college football season. Now, of course, 151 days until Miami is able to step down the field and be able to see how the second year of the Mark era is going to begin. And in order to get the questions in regards to how things are progressing with Mark Rick, let's go ahead and get an expert who covers the Miami Hurricanes to let us know what's happening and what's up in Coral Gables. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm Justin Otavio. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that there is this one famous thing where they say if you have more than one of anything, you may not have anything at all. And no more is that saying more relevant than when you look at the quarterback situation in Miami. They have five quarterbacks fighting for the number one job. Thus far in spring practice, what has been some of your observations in regards to uh, the pecking order regards at this point with the quarterbacks? Um, from what you can tell, they're being pretty secretive about it. But uh, from what you can tell, it looks like Malik Razier, you know, is, is going in as the uh, as the guy, and it's sort of, you know, his job to lose as long as he does the things he's supposed to do. Um, you know, I think he has obviously the only one with uh, real in-game experience. So, I mean, that's kind of a, a given. You, you know what you've got, at least in a sense. Um, you know, he had a nice game against Duke uh, a couple of years ago. That was a couple of years ago. He came against Duke uh, this past season, 2016, and had a 70-something-yard run. So, I think you know you've got an athlete. Um, he's a mature guy. He could have transferred out, you know, and they bring in these freshmen and stuff like that, but he doesn't. Uh, sticks it out. Um, you know, from what you hear, he just takes it real serious, the craft of being a quarterback and, you know, all that real serious, hardworking guy. Um, doesn't make any, any uh, off-the-field mistakes, you know, knock on wood. But, uh, you know, that's just what you hear about him. So I think him going in um, as an experienced guy with lots of athleticism, um, and, you know, I, I think kind of you hope he wins the job in a sense. Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with Justin Dottavio. He writes and covers the Miami Hurricanes. Now, I mean, I'm a half-full half kind of guy, and although, of course, the quarterback situation is in a state of uncertainty, you guys definitely did dodge a bullet uh, in regards to kicking Olsen off the team in a timely fashion. Now, I'm sure when the story <laughs> broke last year in regards to his off-field incidents, I'm more than sure everybody in Coral Gables definitely did breathe a deep sigh of relief. Yeah, uh, I mean, 
um, you really just hope guys don't screw up. But um, when they do, and it turns out they're accused of some of the uh, shadier dealings, um, yeah, I think as a fan of a school and somebody who's around the program from, you know, zero years old, um, I, I think I went to baseball games, you know, in my mom's stomach sort of thing, all the way, you know, to now, um, you know, I, I think that you are glad that your fandom of university, I didn't attend University of Miami, but, um, you know, your fandom of your university, that they're not, um, that they're not the ones kind of taking the hit, you know, it's, there was a time where no one cared because you could cover all this stuff up back in the eighties, but the seventies and eighties and whatnot. And they mind in Oklahoma and kind of had guys running a rough shot. But nowadays it's sort of, you know, it's, it's a black eye. It's embarrassing. Um, you don't want to be the fan of the team that has, you know, guys accused of doing what he was accused of doing. Absolutely. Now, of course we do know that, uh, of course we do know that Brad Kai will definitely be missed, but eventually a quarterback will be named. Will it, of course, we don't know if it'll be for the entire season, but we also do know that uh, Miami was fortunate enough to welcome in a very talented recruiting class. And uh, when you look at the amount of holes, I mean, you look at the offensive line, they have holes there. You look at the running back position, which is really thin. Out of these newcomers, that uh, who do you expect to uh, possibly become a name that's going to make some noise during practice and uh, possibly during the season? I mean, I think um, everyone was hoping that Burns, a running back, would. He's kind of banged up again, um, leaving him even even more kind of begging for the graduate transfer deal. A school like Miami, um, in the sense of, of 80s, 90s aura, shouldn't have to rely on a graduate transfer. But let's face it, you know, Miami of, of 2017, 2016 is, is pretty much Miami of 97, 98. So, you're, you know, 95, 96, you're, you're kind of – Banking on past success, and uh, it doesn't always work out very well. USC had a downturn. UCLA had some rough years. Um, you've seen a lot of these schools, Notre Dame, you know, they've had some rough years. So you, you're really just looking at um, relying on graduate transfers a little bit of a rough spot. You know, for the most part, guys transfer out of Alabama, you know, for that moment. They don't transfer in. And if that's your litmus test, you know, what's, you know what is Bama doing? Um, for the most part, they're they're watching guys leave. They're not really taking in guys from the Citadel on the last end year uh, of their eligibility. So I think there are some holes, and they need, obviously the, the program needs a running back to back. You know, it doesn't have to be a starter. It just needs to be a number three guy, you know. And I, I think the same thing for corner and safety. Look at Juco guy at corner, uh, maybe another Juco DB. Uh, that's the stuff where they're at the weakest. D-line, linebacker. Um, I think O-line will be fine this year. It'll be much improved. Uh, receiver is going to be much improved. Um, you know, David Njoku is a big loss, but I, I always thought Herndon was underused. Um, I, I think he'll be he'll be a good fit. I think they'll just have to rely on him more, and I think it'll be less uh, 50, 40 yard plays and more consistent 15s. Uh, almost what Gary Barnage did at Louisville, consistent first down guy. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know. Let's be real. I mean, the offensive line can't really be much worse than it was last season. But, of course, we expect that, of course, it will definitely make a lot of drastic improvements, of course, during the spring and during the fall. And, of course, experience sometimes is the best teacher. Uh, nevertheless, I do want to ask you, with Mark Grick entering into his second offseason, uh, what are some of your expectations? Who are some players that we should look out for? Who we need to be watching to see uh, make the, take the next step? 
you know, from looking at it from a coaching perspective, as I am a, a football coach, so I'm going to my 15th year um, coaching high school football, um, different, you know, animal, same game. Um, you know, when you go into year two, and I'm actually entering year two this year with the program I, I've, I've now uh, been hired by. So we came in year one. Uh, the team had struggled kind of like what Margaret did entered into. Um, you need a culture change, you need a strength and conditioning overall, um, what I like to call athletic performance because I don't really deal in strength or conditioning, um, but athletic performance overall. And then I think you see your scheme gets, you know, adapted, um, you know, and I think you just, you know, you're looking for that growth moment where um, maybe it's for more, for Coach Rick, it's going to be schematically, you know, he had a, a quote recently saying something along the lines of paraphrasing him that, you know, you used to just go, you got it, you got it, you got it. And the kid would go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he started learning and more he coached that you have to actually ask some very specifics. Okay, then who are you reading here? Why, why did that play work? Why didn't it work? If you get more specific because kids, you know, they are a little scared of you. Whether, you know, it's a respect thing or whatever, they don't want to disappoint you. And so, you know, I think for him it's getting to know the players you can see like more comfortable with them. You know, you watch him, him speak in an interview or, or you watch him on the field he's doing jumping jacks and stuff. I think you're seeing him more comfortable. So as, from a coaching perspective, year two is where I look at, we already have a lot of basics installed and we're ready to start building upon those things. And you start getting into more and more of the guys that you are creating. So for a high school standpoint, or at least one of the cheap, um, we're looking at, Guys that we created just means that we've had them in the weight room for 18 months and we've had them in our program and our mentality for 18 months. I think for a guy at a college level, some of it is the guys you already have, but a lot of it's bringing new people in, whether they're, you know, JUCO transfers, if they were guys who had, you know, registered last year or what have you or new freshmen. They're your guys, the kind of guys you wanted. They fit your scheme and, and your uh, culture. You know, he's a big culture coach, big discipline coach. Um, so I think having those guys that fit, obviously there was a couple guys on the, on the team that he had to kick off right before the start of the season. Um, you know, it, it's weird to say that when guys get hurt, you benefit, or guys who kick off the team, you benefit. But I don't think the overall record would have been any different with three or four guys. I think um, the team was going to win nine or so games and have three or four losses. Um, I think now you walk in and now you've got to see so many more offensive linemen because of – guys getting injured, you know, that you got a chance to see some of these guys in action, move some positions, the guys move tackle to guard, guard center, and stuff like that, where you've now got, okay, I've got four games on him, three games on him, four games on him in our scheme with our culture. Now what do I do with him? I mean, it helps a lot. You know, it helps you you build a lot. Absolutely. Well, this offseason, definitely, we're going to get a lot of questions answered, and in time we'll be able to find out what those answers will ultimately end up being. I want to thank you for coming on to the show, and I definitely want to have you on throughout the off season and the regular season after you continue to uh, cover the Miami Hurricanes. Yeah, I'm writing for State of the U under Ironman Football, which is, um, you know, the blog that I run with a couple other guys, ironmanfootballblog.com. It's more of a coaching-based site, um, but, you know, there's a lot of basics on there, a lot of just thought processes that coaches go through. State of the U, I do the same thing. I do more scheme, and I also cover Navy. Um, for Underdog Dynasty. So starting to stay busy, um, teaching in online courses where kids pop by the computer, and I just make sure that they're facilitated, they're all comfortable, and everybody's, you know, kind of minding each other's um, personal space and, and stuff like that. So I have a lot of time to kind of cover these different teams and stuff. 
All right, well, thank you so much. I look forward to having you on the show again. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for having me. And, of course, going from one offense where we have a lot of questions, let's transition to an offense where it has little to literally no questions. Let's talk about Oklahoma State, the Pokies, you know, that other team that is always fighting out of the shadow of that other team in Oklahoma. Let's go ahead and get Tyler on the line. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, of course, uh, we initially talked to a writer who covers the Miami Hurricanes, which has widespread questions on the offensive side of the ball, full of uncertainty. And, of course, we do know when the st- in the case of Oklahoma State, that is so not the case. Uh, nevertheless, we do know that Oklahoma State does enter into this offseason with a lot of areas of improvement. Let's, of course, talk about the good, the good, the great, Mason Rudolph, James Washington. Were you a little bit surprised that he decided to uh, stay in Oklahoma State as opposed to go to the draft? I was a little bit that they decided to stay after all, but overall as a fan, I was ecstatic that they stayed. I think the fact that uh, not both of them were projected to go in the first or second round was a big part of coming back. Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with Tyler Wiederhoff. He's an assistant editor for the Cowboys Rise for Free covering the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Now, of course, we do know during the offseason is a time where coaches, in my opinion, make their biggest recruiting pitches. It's in past years it's been the year of it's been the year of Harbaugh. And I think that Mike Gundy may be uh really fighting for fighting for first place when it comes to that. I mean, this off off-field exploits have really become infamous from I'm, I'm a man, I'm 40, to rap, uh, to snake wrangling, to wearing a wrestling outfit, I mean, to the mullet. I mean, it seems as if he has really, really uh, made a stake, made stake the claim for being the most interesting coach alive. Yeah, he. I, I don't think anybody really knows what he's where he comes up with this stuff or what he's going to do next. Heck, I don't even think he knows what he is going to do next. Fun or fun story. Back when he pulled that wrestling singlet stunt for the promotion for the OSU Penn State duel, nobody knew it was going to happen. I talked to Gavin Lang, the assistant AD for uh, athletic communications here. And he said Gundy just walked in and asked if there was a singlet sitting around for a 49-year-old man so they can sit down and do this promo. Wow. Wow. Now, of course, we do know that when we look at the – during the offseason, it provides a great opportunity for players to try to, you know, make some improvements. I'm more than sure that a lot of players, of course, have goal sheets in regards to areas that they want to try to work on, either one to try to improve on areas that they, uh, of course, made mistakes on during the fall. And also, of course, in the case of – uh, players who have aspirations of playing pro ball to try to boost their draft stock. In the case of Mason Rudolph, what are some of the areas of improvement that this guy has to make? Because I mean, when you look at his stats, and you just—it's a complete blasphemous that this guy is not a household name. I would say the biggest thing that he needs to work on is his short game. He had a lot of short passes that he just overthrew inexplicably. And when he gets into the red zone, he's not great. 
I looked up the stats last season out of 69 red zone attempts. We only had 14 drives that ended in a touchdown through the air. He's just, I don't really understand what it is. I know last year he had J.W. Walsh, who was came in, or he came in as like the red zone specialist. So Rudolph didn't get a lot of chances to work then. But even last year, it was a lot of, we mixed in the Wildcat because Rudolph just couldn't seem to quite get it done. Uh, that's what I want to see this year. He's got to get that figured out if he wants to be an NFL QB. Head coaches just aren't going to be happy if he gets down there and they can't throw the ball and they have to settle for field goals. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that James Washington will definitely uh, make that uh, progression a whole lot easier. And, of course, we do know that James Wick, uh, probably one of the most talented runners, I mean, Justice Hill, excuse me, probably one of the most talented running backs in the country that nobody seems to be talking about, ran for 1,142 yards last year. But we do know that ultimately the fate of the Oklahoma State Cowboys is going to rest largely on the defensive side of the ball. Who do you see stepping up during the spring to help make that defense take the next step? I think Chad Whitener at the linebacker position He's going to step up and assume that captain role. But what I really need to see to help calm my nerves about the defense is Ramon Richards at the safety spot. He was cornerback last year, and he was not great in the first half. He was consistently getting burned, and it was very frustrating to watch. Now, it got better as the season went on, but now this season he's moved from cornerback back to safety. I want to see if he can make that transition back there or if he's just going to look hopelessly lost and we're going to get burned for 600 yards and four touchdowns through the air all game long, all season long. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that uh, one of the things that's awesome about college football is that each year you're able to bring in new recruits, new players to help bolster up weakness or, in the case of strengths, make those strengths even better. Now, of course, in this recruiting class for Oklahoma State, it was a lot it was pretty offensive line heavy. Uh, nevertheless, uh, according to 24-7, uh, the star of the class was A.J. Green, a six-foot, 170-pound cornerback. Out of those uh, new players that are going to be coming into Oklahoma State, who are some players that you're looking forward to seeing, and who's made the biggest noise thus far during spring practice? Like you said, I want to see A.J. Green succeed at the corner. But actually, the guy that I want to see is actually already on the team. I want to see Keenan Brown, who was a converted wide receiver. He moved back to the corner or the cowboy back spot. I'm sorry. And I just last year the, we had two cowboy backs, Blake Jarwin and Zach Beach. They adapted the role. They played it perfectly. But since they have both graduated, we have zero people back there with experience. I want to see Keenan Brown step in and fill that role perfectly and help. Um, sorry. He, I want to see him help block and catch and everything that Glenn Spencer wants. Mike Yersich needs him to do. Absolutely. Of course, we do know that although, of course, when people look at the schedule, of course, they see the big in-state bedlam as the game that may ultimately decide the state of Oklahoma State. However, we do know that 
games are won during practice, even though Allen Iverson may disagree. And uh, it's definitely <laughs> going to be a, it's going to be very interesting to watch. I want to thank you for coming on to the show, and I definitely uh, want to have you on throughout the off season and during the season as we continue to watch Mason Rudolph make his progressions, and of course watch keep a close eye on the defense. And of course, it'll be relied on heavily in the Big 12 to be able to try to stop a lot of these explosive offenses. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Anytime you want to know, or you want me back, you just let me know, and I'll make time in my schedule for you. Absolutely, thank you. Now, of course, one of the things that's awesome. Again, I want to thank Tyler. He writes uh, for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. I want to thank you for coming on to the show. One of the things that's awesome is right now, although the stadiums are empty, this is when the real work gets done. Because ultimately, during live action, the hope, the prayer. The expectation is in Coral Gables and also, of course, in the case of Oklahoma State, is that you want to be able to read and react. You don't want to have to think because when you're having to think, that means that you're going to be slow. That means that there's going to be a delay. They want to make sure, just like uh, Mark Rick said, you want to know where you're supposed to be and why. If you get those questions answered during practice, when the season starts, flying all over the field. However, we do know that ultimately we have 151 days until week one of the college football season. And, of course, until that time comes, I'm more than sure that college football programs all over the country are hoping and praying that their athletes stay out of trouble, are hoping and praying that their coaches stay out of trouble, are hoping and praying that some scandal does not come and place a huge black eye on what could be a promising yet rememberable a season for one particular college football program. But, of course, we do know that, unfortunately, what you may hope for, what you may pray for, may not always be what happens. But, again, As I say in life, as I say in sports, ladies and gentlemen, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, of course, we are definitely going to see what's up. Now, staying in the state of Oklahoma, I know oftentimes when it comes to the Oklahoma State Cowboys, they oftentimes find themselves in the shadows of that other team in Oklahoma that's only an hour away. Of course, I'm talking about the Oklahoma Sooners. And, of course, they find themselves yet again making compelling yet disgusting news. It seems as if, in my own opinion, if, in fact, there was a race to see who's had the worst offseason thus far, I think Oklahoma will win it quite easily. As, of course, their leading quarterback at one point, Movado's favorite, Heisman favorite, Baker Mayfield, uh, found himself running from the cops, and despite his impressive ability to be able to razzle, dazzle, and give opposing defensive coordinators headaches, he was not able to do that to the police department in Arkansas as he was caught. And, of course, during spring practices, uh, Bob Stoops had to answer and try to explain uh, what he's going to do about the situation. And in typical Bob Stoops fashion, he said a lot, but said a lot of nothing. 
as he said, he's going to let the legal process take its course, which I do understand and respect as an attorney myself. <laughs> but it made me roll my eyes. I rolled my eyes because what did you expect Bob Stoops to say? He let Joe Mixon play. He let D.D. Westbrook play. Now, was it for his own self-interest? Of course. <laughs> and, of course, I'm more than sure that Baker Mayfield may or may not be punished by the program, but I'm more than sure that uh, he's not going to mix much time. And, of course, then, if matters weren't made worse, then, of course, another story came out today. When cornerback Justin Phillips, Oklahoma Sooners, was arrested for pimping out a cheerleader and pimping her out as a prostitute. And immediately I thought to myself, why even bother asking the question of if this guy is going to be suspended? Why even bother asking the question if this guy is going to be dismissed from the team? Why even bother asking Bob Stoops these questions? Because we already know what the answer is. We know that Mr. Phillips will not miss time. We know that he will not be suspended. We know that he will not suffer any type of repercussions whatsoever. If anything, all that we can be assured of is possibly that this young lady who was a cheerleader at the school will likely lose her scholarship, will likely be dismissed from the school, will likely suffer some form of punishment, while the player, of course, suffers no punishment whatsoever. And why do we know that? Because history has shown us that when it comes to Oklahoma, when it comes to Bob Stoops, there's nothing that's put above winning. It's winning and then everything else. It is winning that, of course, calls and encouraged him to turn a blind eye to Joe Mixon and not kick him out of school. It was winning that allowed him to accept D. Westbrook into his school despite the fact that he beat, choked, and assaulted his pregnant girlfriend. It was winning which allowed Bob Stoops to allow Baker Mayfield to continue during spring practice, continue unblemished, continue unpunished. So why do we expect Bob Stoops to do anything else? Because winning at the end of the day is all that Bob Stoops cares about. Winning is all that it seems that the athletic director who is a hypocrite amongst his own self, seems to be consumed with. Because winning, it seems, has been the thing that Bob Stoops has been able to perpetuate despite the infection of misdeeds taking place at his own college football program. But you know what, ladies and gentlemen? Bob Stoops not alone. Bob Stoops is not alone. Oftentimes, reporters, radio hosts such as myself, we're able to call it out. But in hindsight, we do know that this is something that runs rampant at college programs all over the country. But it does make you wonder. But it does also make you question. 
I feel like ultimately in life we are all faced an ultimate dilemma where we're tested to see about our character, where we're tested to see what we actually stand for. For me, I know it happened when I was a little kid, and I accidentally walked out the store, and at that time I was faced with a decision. I could, of course, continue to walk out that store and probably not face any type of repercussions. Or I could just choose to go back into the store, acknowledge and point out that I had this soda, that I didn't pay for this soda, and I would like to pay for it, and I'm sorry for walking out without paying. Although, of course, that scenario is something that's quite simple for us to be able to understand and to embrace as children, we do know that ultimately as adults, things find themselves getting a little bit more complex. You start thinking about, you apply the pressure of boosters. You apply the pressure of TV contracts. You apply the pressure of trying to maintain your legacy. Then you add ego and pride to side, and you say to yourself, with the decision to go back into the store and pay for the soda, is it that simple when you add all of those other ramifications that come with it? When you also add to the fact that you, of course, are now the provider for your family, and, of course, you know that if, in fact, you report these things, that, of course, they may have a negative reflection on your job security. Do you still report it? Do you still do what's right? Because it seems as if at this particular point, it seems as if the ultimate redeeming quality at one point for you to be able to be considered a Hall of Famer, character at one point had to stand for something. It seems as if just like Bob Stoops found himself falling victim to always doing whatever it took to win, it seems as if that's something that's widespread in college sports altogether. In the same conference, in a different sport, Bill Self chose winning. Fielding a, fielding a roster of players who, of course, disrespected women, kicking their cars, choking them. However, despite all of those things being widespread, Bill Self, who came from Oral Roberts, who people thought was a man of integrity, chose winning. Winning his 13th consecutive big seemed to be more important than maintaining the same form of integrity that, of course, helped him gain all the respectability and accolades and, of course, also he received by winning during his time at Oral Roberts, during his time at Tulsa, during his time at Illinois, and during his time at Kansas prior to these allegations taking place. But when you look at the athletic director in Lawrence, when you look at Bill Self himself, you see that he actually seems to have actually gotten awarded for choosing winning over looking out for the overall well-being of the student body of kids who, of course, also were sent to the institution to try to learn. What lessons have they learned? seems as if the young lady who, of course, played basketball at Kansas who found herself attacked and assaulted by players from the Kansas Jayhawks basketball team learned a stark truth. And if you're a certain size and if, in fact, you can jump a certain level of verts, and if, in fact, you have a sweet outside shot and if, in fact, you play a role in trying to contribute 
to building the esteem of an institution, then the incidents that take place with you just don't matter. Each time Justin Jackson came on the court, each time I saw a Kansas Jayhawk player, I said to myself, the year of all years that they chose to induct Bill Sells into the Hall of Fame, they did it the year that Lawrence happened. Just think about that. Imagine how perplexing that is. Imagine what message that is sending to parents of young ladies who are making selections in regards to what school that they're going to attend. We have now entered into a time now where parents, young ladies, are looking at police reports, looking at Title IX reports, and determining where they're going to go to school. Where will their child be the most safest? And it's a stark reality when you have to ultimately accept and realize that child may all may find itself being compromised because that particular athlete either on the gridiron or either on the basketball court is just too important to the bottom line for boosters, too important to the bottom line of a coach trying to win a conference championship, trying to save his own job. Now, of course, we saw what happened when this was allowed to take place and run riot at Baylor. We saw what happened when this was able to continue to perpetuate and take place at Penn State. The question, are things going to change? Or will things continue to remain the same? I think the question that you ultimately have to say to yourself when you ask these coaches, when you find yourself putting these coaches on such high esteem, you have to go back to that Coke bottle analogy I gave you and ask yourself, when faced with the choice of choosing winning, integrity over safety over the well-being of an innocent young lady or young man, Could the coach of the team that you cover, that you are so passionate by, fueled by, do they turn the other cheek? Do they do a blind eye? Or do they do what was right? Because I think it's awfully troubling when we realize how many coaches have turned a blind eye. As I bring the show to a close, I want to thank my guests for coming on. And, of course, I want to thank you guys for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, follow your boy Denmark on Instagram. I look forward to talking to you soon. And like Terminator said, I'll be back. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If, in fact, you missed the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by typing in count and the number two and down, one word. While you're at it, make sure you also follow the latest happenings in the world of sport with us at Eat, Drink, Sleep, Sports, and the number two. And you know what? If you've gone that far, be sure and check out our website for the latest happenings as well at eatdrinksleepsports.com. 
until next time, college sports football fans, stay tuned. I know I will. Peace.